All right, guys, how are we doing this morning? Lord's good, always. Um, it's a little dreary outside, but that's okay. At least we're not covered in smoke smog like New York City. Um, so yeah, my name is Jeff Johns. Um, that's Jeff with a G, so G-E-O-F-F, the uh, weird British spelling. And uh, yeah, so you had me last week. So if you didn't like that, too bad, I'm back again, okay? Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you're here. Uh, so yeah, um, as was mentioned, a uh, bit of review from last week. I work with Ratio Christi, uh, which stands for the Reason of Christ. We're a Campus Apologetics Alliance at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. So I do campus ministry with students. And um, like last week, just go through some um, of my background. Um, so here's the family. Um, yeah, as I said, I was raised on the mean streets of Appleton, Wisconsin. You know, I just tell the same jokes over and over again, and they're funny every time. And these slides were originally crafted for a youth group, so you're basically my youth group now, okay? Um, yeah, <coughs> I was in a band called Johnny OK, Ska Band, um, which was pretty fun. Uh, we played all over the Fox Valley, played at Life Fest, so that's us at Life Fest. That's me when I was 18, so let's move on. <laughs> went to uh, Calvary Chapel, Appleton. Um, I was uh, going to rock my uh, Hawaiian shirt and, you know, full-blown Chuck Smith style, but, uh, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, um, I eventually went to uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta, California. As I said, basically like a Christian paradise, like palm trees and, and hot springs, and, and got to take some great courses there. I uh, took my first apologetics course, uh, which was really good. And um, <coughs> yeah, does anybody know Lake Lundgren Bible Camp? Okay, so I, um, I was a counselor there for five summers. Um, and as I said last week, uh, there was a girl there that, ha that liked me for a couple years <laughs> on staff, and I was kind of oblivious to it, as some guys are. So I finally got wise to it, asked her out, and about a year and a half later, we were married. So this is me and my wife, Ariel, like the mermaid. And uh, here's one of our super artsy hipster engagement photos, um, which is pretty cool. I've, I think I've put on a few pounds since then. Um, <coughs> After that, I worked with Crew, a campus crusade at St. Norbert College, uh, which, which was really fun. Cutting my teeth on evangelism, um, working with students, helping to run a campus ministry, which is really great. Um, my other job is I teach worldview and apologetics at Providence Academy, which is a classical school in Green Bay. This is our brand new building, actually. Really nice. Great school. And I got a master's in apologetics from Luther Rice Seminary in 2019. And uh, here are some of the kiddos once again. So this is August, uh, turning six. Just fun, absolutely crazy. You know, you just wake up and you're half asleep and they're just like doing circles and screaming. I don't know how they get the energy. Um, wish I could just take some of that energy, you know what I'm saying? Um, this is Miles. He's kind of more the quiet, sensitive one. And uh, just for some, some fun here, um, <laughs> we were at the National Railroad Museum in Green Bay back in February, and I snapped this photo. So you tell me, if this was Miles' debut musical album, what, what genre of music do you think this, this would be? What do you guys think? Some blues, maybe? So, oh yeah, definitely some emo, uh, right? Maybe like some hip-hop? 
I'm getting some early 2000s Detroit rap vibes here. <laughs> so, you know, all right, let's move on. Um, so, yeah, we recently welcomed uh, baby Noel to our family. Um, she's just adorable. Uh, her brothers are, are just loving having a baby sister. Um, basically, my house is just like, it's just cuteness everywhere. Um, and this is baby Noel. Oh, it's adorable. And I was able to take a, 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 well, this is actually our farm. So we live in a very small farm. We got some animals and stuff. And uh, there's August holding a baby lamb, right? And so y- sometimes it, you, can, you can feed them with a bottle, then they're like tails way. It, it's, it's, ju- it's just cute stuff. Um, all right, so as I mentioned, I work with Rosho Christi Campus Apologetics Alliance here. And uh, last week, uh, we talked about what apologetics even is. Um, and th- I'm a teacher, so this can be like a dialogue here, too. So, so what exactly is apologetics? Anybody? Yeah, making a defense for the Christian faith. Not necessarily apologizing, even though you should do that from time to time. Um, yeah, so it just comes from the Greek term apologia, meaning to speak in defense. And so it, it gives a rational explanation, rationale for why someone should believe in God, Christianity, stuff like that. And uh, (coughs) in campus ministry too, it's super important because all the craziness that you see in culture right now, we're in a kind of a wild time in our country's history, aren't we, right? Well, all of that, most of it comes from ideas that were taught at the university back in, in like the 80s and 90s and is now being filtered through to popular culture. So, so goes the university, so goes the culture. And one thing we do with Ratio Christi too is we don't just defend the faith, we defend the right to defend the faith. So we do a lot of free speech advocacy, right? Um, That there can be religious freedoms on campus and stuff like that. So Ratio Christi's Latin for the reason of Christ started by students at Appalachia State in Boone, North Carolina. Partially in response to the new atheism movements, the students were just kind of getting beat up from questions from their friends and professors. Sorry about that. And they wanted to uh, start a club for doubters, like to just get together and find some answers. So... um, We're now serving on over 160 campuses in the U.S. and abroad. So as I mentioned last week, we got like, for example, Purdue, Colorado State, Texas A&M, Rutgers, The Ohio State University, and a whole bunch of others. And uh, my mission field is uh, the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, about half an hour, 45 minutes from here. And we've been on campus there for about five years. As I said, somehow we, by the grace of God, we survived the pandemic. Um, And we've got a whole number of students involved, kind of started it over this year with all new freshmen. Um, And we do lots of evangelism, lots of outreach, asking students about their worldview, sharing the gospel, um, all kinds of stuff we do. And uh, before we get into the talk, as I mentioned last week, we need your help. So I'm a local missionary. And uh, how can you partner with RC? Well, first and foremost, obviously, pray for us and for the ministry that uh, God will grant us many new students and opportunities for sharing the gospel in a hostile environment. It's definitely not easy. Um, And uh, maybe think about uh, becoming a monthly partner if you wanted to. Um, we rely on the donations from individuals and churches. I'm a supported missionary. 
So our goal for the summer, due to new baby inflation, housing costs, we want to do about 1,500 to 2,000 in new monthly commitments. That's like the big like faith goal. So um, you could come on our team if you wanted, talk to me back there. Also, we have some good resources back there and booklets if you wanted one. I might have some extras. You can take a look there. But you'll be supporting one of the most strategic missions organizations in the whole country, which is really cool. And uh, another way you can help as well, think about this, even if you couldn't support, um, think about this. If you were in my shoes, who would you contact? So I'm kind of launching this thing this summer. If there's anyone you know that might be excited to hear about this ministry, just let me know. Um, because I don't know as many people as I need to to raise my goal. So just something to think and pray about. All right, so for the talk this morning, we're going to go from theory to practice. So... Uh, anybody remember what we talked about last week? Anybody recall? Um, you're like, what? I don't know. Uh, no, we did. A, we looked at uh, the criteria of embarrassment and how embarrassing features in the New Testament uh, help point to its reliability. Okay, and we could do apologetic stuff for for hours here, looking at various evidence and facts and arguments. But we're going to go a little bit more practical now. How do we take this stuff and just Bring it to the streets. How do we just talk with people about our faith, right? Um, and uh, because that's kind of where the rubber hits the road, I suppose. So I'm calling this how to have effective and loving conversations in a polarized age, right? We're in a very divided time, aren't we, in our country? How do we have loving conversations? If I were in a youth group, I would use this title, how to have a productive spiritual conversation without being totally awkward, Right? If you know, you know, right? All right, so you guys tell me, why is it so difficult in our modern culture to have productive, reasonable, and loving conversations about important issues and ideas? <laughs> why is it so difficult? Yeah. Mm. A lot of anger, a lot of outrage. Um, any other ideas? Why is it so Lack of humility, right? Um, yeah, so there's a kind of an impasse here. And uh, so we live in a bit of an outrage culture, don't we? Right? Everyone's just mad about stuff. And uh, everyone's just kind of just, just waiting to pounce. Babylon B, satire. It says, report, lots of yelling at each other expected to fix things any day now. Right? <laughs> so... It, it turns out if, if you just yell your perspective loud enough, it just magically becomes true, right? Just yell it loud enough and then, you know, some, somehow it just, it just becomes true. That's a, that's a joke. For example, um, last year, around this time, we had the Supreme Court ruling, right? And uh, there was a lot of uproar about abortion rights and all this kind of stuff. And um, you'll see these kind of pro-choice and pro-life rallies um, on the National Mall in D.C., right? And what are people doing? They're basically just yelling at each other. <laughs> Everyone's got their signs, and they're just screaming. And I'm just like, is this really that productive way to communicate? Like, is anyone's mind being changed here? Probably not, right? Um, as I said, it turns out you can't just scream a slogan and then it just becomes true, right? Both sides have, have to make a case for their view. And so from the movie Cool Hand Luke, what we've got here is a failure to communicate. 
it's broken down in our country and in our lives, and so how do we do this? Well, you tell me, how has the internet and social media made this problem worse, do you think? Right. When you're online on social media, you're like a digital proxy of yourself, right? Through an avatar, and so you kind of feel protected, and so people can just spew all, all sorts of horrible things. Um, and uh, we've gone away from face-to-face -to, -face to just like this digital communication, which is, which is really abnormal. How has the pandemic made this problem even worse? Right, so we were already divided ideologically, now we're separated physically, right? Remember lockdowns and stuff like that? It's kind of weird to think that it was just like three years ago, wasn't it? Um, so so there's, uh, there's been a breakdown here. So let's take a look at some communication and wisdom from a Christian perspective. So this whole talk is going to be just very practical, and hopefully some tools you guys can use just uh, talking with people. I don't know, at work, at the water cooler. I don't know if people still do that, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so let's take a look. Um, problem is, all too often, I think you found this, Christians can get in the way of the Christian message, right? Oftentimes the problem is us. For example... Uh, when I was in high school, I was down in Naperville, Illinois, uh, to check out a college, and I was with a group, and uh, I, w I went to Chipotle for the first time, and that was incredible. This is a good burrito, right? And so I walk out of Chipotle, and there's a guy on the street corner, and he's got a three-piece suit on, and his two boys have three-piece suits on as well. And he's got a huge banner with, like, there's, like, a pastor preaching, but there's, like, flames and a snake, <laughs> like ar around him, right? And he's got a Bible open and he's like preaching to cars, right? And expecting that they'll like stop at a, at a stoplight to, to roll their window down to listen. And he's just basically yelling at people. And, and I'm looking at this like, is this really the best way to share the gospel message? I suppose God could use it, technically, right? But uh, sometimes our approach can get in the way of the message, right? Uh, Gandhi said, he said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. <laughs> your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So he's like, I'm down with Jesus, but your Christians kind of are disappointing. And that's unfortunate, isn't it? Now in 1 Peter 3.15, which is a classic verse for apologetics, uh, it says this. <clears throat> it says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Now, that's our Greek term, apologia, make a defense where we get apologetics, to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you, but here's the key, how should we do it? With gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Which is, this verse is so funny, because when you think of apologetics and debate, is the first word that comes to your mind, gentleness? No, right? We think of people screaming and, and like getting jabs in and like you, like you see these YouTube videos like so-and-so owns so-and-so and we're like, yeah, crush him, right? Uh, but we're called to gentleness and respect. As it's been said many times, it's not oftentimes what you say, it's how you say it, right? It's your delivery, how you say it. We're going to take a look at some Proverbs here. I think we had some Proverbs here uh, a bit earlier. Two Proverbs for communicators. 
15.1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you, have you found that? Right? Sometimes you can just put a really cutting remark and it just escalates things, right? But, it's, but Solomon's saying, no, you, you want to de-escalate. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Colossians 4.6, you guys know this one. Let your speech always be with grace. So let's stop there. With grace. Well, why? Because the grace of God is the foundation of the gospel and that's how we're saved. But we live out from that and have our speech be with grace, which is cool. Seasoned with salt so that you know how you ought to answer each one. So gracious speech. Um, in Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, uh, and he's talking to the disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. It's kind of an interesting verse, huh? What do you think he means by, by wise as serpents, but gentle as doves? Right? I think what he's saying is be, be wise, be crafty, be intelligent, know what you're talking about, right? But do it as gentle as possible, as gentle as a dove. And so there's, there's, this, there's this contrast here. It's really interesting imagery that he's talking about. And so I think what these verses are saying is we need to seek to have a tough mind but a tender heart, okay? Know the gospel, know your Bible, know theology, but do it in a tender way, a loving way, okay? Sometimes we have a tough mind and that's it, right? Or you could have a tender heart but, but not a tough mind. So you want to try and have, have both. And this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Right? So let's take a look at practically some key principles for loving and productive dialogue. So how do we communicate? What are some practical ways to do this? Well, have you ever had uh, somebody tell you, don't shove your religion down my throat? Okay, right? Some people, they don't like being preached at or, or f feel like they're being forced into it. Well, these principles will literally help you not to do that. Right? Will literally um, make it actually fairly easy. I know, I, I do this for a whole living. I, I talk with students. So first I'd say, <coughs> seek to find as much common ground as possible at the beginning of a conversation. You may find that you've got more in common than you think. When you reach out to somebody across the aisle, I mean, after all, you're both humans made in God's image, so there's going to be some common ground there, um, and uh, there might be a lot more connection points than you think. And some of this comes down to the importance of empathy, which is kind of a buzzword right now. What does it mean to be empathetic? Anybody want to take a stab? To relate, to kind of put yourself in their shoes, to kind of understand where they're coming from. And we can be empathetic with someone even if we disagree with them. Who knew, right? You know, you can unconditionally love someone without unconditionally approving of everything they do or say. Our culture is very, uh, doesn't know how to make that distinction anymore, right? So uh, you can uh, love someone without unconditionally approving of everything they do and say. For example, in um, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, right? So love 
rejoices in the truth. It doesn't just give a carte blanche acceptance of everything that comes down the pipe, right? So a biblical definition of love is a bit different than our just secular one that we have in our culture. But nevertheless, we should try to just to seek to, to understand, like if I were in this person's shoes, why would I see things this way? Focus on asking questions in order to better understand another person's position instead of immediately launching into arguments for your view. Don't we do that very often, right? We just kind of immediately launch into like a lecture. And this is hard for me because I'm a teacher, so my tendency is to teach, right? But I gotta like pump the brakes and just, just sit back and listen, maybe ask some questions. <coughs> Clarity of concepts and terms is crucial for mutual understanding. Words are important and they have meanings and we need to use them in a, in a godly way. For example, uh, has anyone ever um, um, been visited by our good friends, the Mormons? Right? You know, you're sitting watching TV, 6 a.m. or something, and then, <laughs> you know, hi, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? And then you talk with these Mormons, and they're using all these terms, you know, God, atonement, Jesus, Bible, you know? And you're like, wow, are these, are these, are, are these guys Christians? Well, it turns out they mean something different by all those terms than what we would say, right? So, as it's been said, they have, um, they have a different vocabulary, they have a similar vocabulary, but a different dictionary, right? And so clarity of terms is huge. Here's your, here's your golden question. What do you mean by that? It's very, very simple to ask. Just what do you mean by that? Clarifying what they mean and uh, what the reasons are they hold to it are uh, crucial. This is so easy to do. Even Justin Bieber can do it. I'm sorry, guys. Youth group talk. Um, so uh, this will help us avoid what's called in logic a straw man fallacy. Anybody ever heard of this fallacy before? It's basically where you're attacking or criticizing a view, but it's not actually the person's real view. It's like, you know, in a negative sense here, like you're trying to kill the real guy, but you're stabbing a scarecrow instead, right? So if, if, if you're going to critique something, at least try and understand what they mean and what the view actually is. For example, Proverbs 18.13. <clears throat> Here's a good one. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. How many of you guys have been there before? <laughs> right? Giving an answer before you hear. Right? I've done it so many times. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Right? And so Solomon's saying, delight in understanding first, right? Yes, you've got opinions and stuff to say, but delight in understanding first. James, a uh, very practical book. James 1.19 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Whew. There's a convicting verse, right? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So following these biblical principles will help us be better communicators, and I think we'll just lower the tension and help uh, the truth come out and there to be clarity. For example, um, let's say you got a friend who's Buddhist, okay? 
do you have to go out and to the library and buy a bunch of books on Buddhism and read them all in order to talk to your Buddhist friend? No. What do you do? Buy him a coffee and ask him about Buddhism. <laughs> right? Just say, well, what is this? Uh, why do you care about it? Because um, uh, you're not going to know until you ask him. For all you know, um, maybe he's a Theravada Buddhist. Maybe he's a Mahayana Buddhist. Maybe he's a Vajrayana Buddhist, right? Uh, there's all these schools of Buddhism. Maybe he just thinks the Buddha's kind of cool, <laughs> right? And so you're not going to know until you ask him. So skip the books and just let him tell you what he believes, right? You'll be doing him a courtesy, you'll be listening, and you'll be getting an overview of what this guy thinks, not what you think he thinks, right? Um, very, very simple. Ask yourself, uh, what's the strongest argument for the other side? Have you ever done this, right? D does anybody have I internal debates in their head, like in the shower? Anybody ever do this, where you like have a debate in your mind? Like, if I was on Piers Morgan, ask this question, I would say this, right? Um, so we want to be as gracious and charitable. What's the strongest argument for the other side? Try to critique a viewpoint at its best rendering, not at its worst. So we tend to do this, where we take a view that we don't like, and we reduce it to its most absurd, and then we critique that. But you want to try and critique it at its best, right? After all, how could you respond to an idea that you don't actually understand? Right? So seek understanding first, then respond. All right, let's think about the burden of proof as well here. This is very important. <clears throat> so here's a key principle, and th I found this is, this is crucial. It's not your job, at least initially, to respond to what someone else claims is the case. It's not your job to refute someone right away. Rather, it's their job to defend the claims that they've made, right? So someone makes a claim, you don't need to go off and on some big, long refutation. Just sit back and ask them to defend what they've just said, right? This is all very practical stuff. So many people are just so used to just saying stuff and never backing it up. And again, you can do all this in a respectful, loving, Holy Spirit-filled way, too. Here's your golden question, and I've, I've phrased it in a certain way, and I've found this to be the best way to say it. What have you found to be the best reasons to support your perspective? It's that easy. What have you found to be the best reasons to support your perspective? Now, you could say it kind of jerky, like, well, where's your proof, right? <laughs> like, don't do that, right? And I've seen this uh, work so many times and be so effective. For example, <laughs> I, I was uh, teaching on the resurrection of Jesus last year, uh, and I was building like a 10-week case for the resurrection. It was very thorough. And I had this agnostic guy there, and he piped up. He's like, okay, I've got a theory. Maybe Jesus was an alien, and he was beamed up from a mothership, and all of his miracles were through, like, alien technology, and the resurrection was a part of that as well. Now, how would you respond to that? <laughs> right? You might think to yourself, oh, no, I've got to respond. How do I respond to the alien Jesus hypothesis here? Like... I should read a book on this. No, here's what I did. I asked him, that's very interesting. What have you found to be the best reasons 
to support your perspective. And guess what he said? He said, well, I guess it's possible. <laughs> and I'm like, that's all you got? It's just it's possible? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it turns out that uh, it doesn't really matter what's possible. It matters what's plausible. Right? In a court of law, you, you can't just spin any hypothesis and say it might have happened. You've got to prove <laughs> that your theory is happening, right? So that's very, very key. Just asking to shift the burden of proof, what have you found to be the best reasons, is really important. Um, so when it comes to the claims that people make, no more free rides. No more intellectual freeloaders just making claims without any backup, right? So, so, so just politely ask them to explain. And to give an analogy here, arguments and statements are kind of like a house. Specifically, a conclusion is a bit like a roof on a house, right? But is, is a roof a house? No. All roofs are supported by a good foundation, by beams, walls, electricity, all this kind of stuff. And all that holds up the roofs. So what people do in our culture is they think they can just chuck roofs at you, willy-nilly. Just, you know, frisbeeing roofs. Well, you got to sit back and say, look, bro, why don't you build the house for me first, right? You can make your claim and, and your slogan, okay? That's a roof, but you need to build a foundation with actual reasons to uphold your roof, okay? Um, and I guess this is a charge for us as Christians as well, right? If we're going to make claims about the Bible or God, we, we should hopefully have at least some decent reasons for that. And a lot of these ideas aren't uh, something I just made up. Uh, this comes from a phenomenal book called Tactics by Greg Kokel, uh, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. Um, this is pretty much like my manual on campus. It's one of the most practical books you'll ever read on how to just talk with people about your faith. Um, after you read this book, I guarantee you will be confident. It just gives you the tools and the game plans. So I would highly Highly recommended. It's required reading for all my student leaders. Um, and just gold mine of stuff there. Anybody know who this guy is? Right, Columbo, right? Um, you'll see his show uh, on daytime TV, right? Along with what, Matlock and Murder She Wrote and uh, Magnum PI, right? Um, <coughs> so in the book, Kokel has something he calls the Columbo tactic. So here's what he says. He says, to all appearances, Columbo is bumbling, inept, completely harmless. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Um, he couldn't think his way out of a wet paper bag or so it seems. He's stupid, but he's stupid like a fox because the lieutenant has a simple plan that accounts for his remarkable success. And maybe if you've seen the show, after poking around the crime scene and scratching his head, you know, he's probably got a huge stogie, right? Um, muttering to himself, Lieutenant Columbo makes his trademark move. I've got a problem. There's just something about this that bothers me. He pauses for a moment to ponder his predicament, and he turns to his suspect and says, you seem like a very intelligent person. Maybe you can clear it up for me. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Right? And he'll just make tons of headway on the case just by asking questions. Okay? Very interesting. So take a cue from Lieutenant Columbo, and think of it almost like a crime scene. Like, you're just here to ask questions and see what went down. 
So let's take a look at the Columbo tactic in action here. Give some practical examples. <coughs> so you're talking to a friend and he says, look, we've all heard this, it's not rational to believe in God. There's no proof, right? How would you respond? Maybe you might respond with a laundry list of arguments. Well, no, there is proof, and I'm, I'm going to show you. And then, and then you go through all your reasons. Is that the best way to go? Maybe not initially. I don't think so. Instead, remember, re remember our friend Lieutenant Columbo. Ask some follow-up questions. For example, what do you mean by God? That is, what kind of God do you reject? Maybe the God that they describe then isn't actually the biblical God, right? Maybe they think it's like, well, I don't believe in a bearded man in, in the sky. It's like, well, I don't either, right? What specifically is irrational about believing in God? So they've made the, they've made the claim, they've, they've thrown a roof at you, but now they've got to build the house. Why is it like irrational? Typically, I mean, atheist philosophers will try and show that maybe the attributes of God are logically incoherent or something like that. I don't think they're successful, but uh, why? Since you're so concerned about proof for God's existence, what kind of evidence would you find acceptable? So what kind of evidence or proof are you looking for? So what would count as proof in your opinion? Do you see how all these questions are really good at getting them to, to explain what they mean? Sort of a, what do you mean by that? And a lot of times what they mean is, well, there's no hard scientific proof for God. Well, of course not, because he's the one who made the entire natural realm. Well, that'd be like thinking, well, I'm in chemistry class right now with my beaker, and you say, Professor, I, th I think I've synthesized God. <laughs> there he is. We found him. It's like, well, of course you're not going to find God in a laboratory because he's the one who created labs and science all together. He's the creator of the whole thing. Now, that's not to say that there's not a lot of good scientific evidence that could point to the existence of God. Um, but, I mean, so you got to mine out what exactly does proof mean. Now, I could give all kinds of arguments for God, but the term proof here is kind of ambiguous, isn't it? So, so you've got to be Lieutenant Columbo and mine out um, some definitions here. How about this one? Ever heard this? Christianity is just basically the same as all other religions. The main similarity is love, guys. And we definitely should not tell others how to live or believe. How, how many of you guys have heard something like this before, right? Well, you could kind of launch into some lecture, <laughs> or you, you could chill out, and start asking some questions. How much have you studied other religions to compare the details and find a common theme? So maybe give some specific examples of how it's all the same. Here's a good one. Why would the similarities be more important than the differences? Most people are under the impression that the world's religions are fundamentally, um, are fundamentally similar and superficially different but I think it's the other way around. They're fundamentally different and only superficially similar. So I teach world religions for a living here, and I can tell you after studying comparative religion that they're definitely not all on the same page. Not only do they give different answers, they're asking totally different questions. Like Theravada Buddhism that I talked about, it doesn't even think God exists. 
<laughs> right? And so people will try and say, well, Islam and Christianity are kind of the same thing. It's like, well, no. We worship Jesus. They don't, right? Like, like there, there's, there's such fundamental disagreement that saying that they're all the same just doesn't work. You could appeal to Jesus. I'm curious, what do you think Jesus' own attitude was on this issue? Did he think all religions were basically equal? So you can appeal to Jesus. Most people respect Jesus in some way. You could say, well, what do you think Jesus' view was? Now, here's a good one, too. Isn't telling people to love one another just an example of telling them how they should live and believe? Right? Don't convert people. It's like, well, aren't you trying to convert me to that perspective right now? Right? So think of some good questions you can ask. Let's do one more here, one or two more. Challenge three, look guys, you can't take the Bible too seriously because it was only written by men and men make mistakes, right? Okay, again, you could launch into some big lecture on the defense of the Bible, but that might be premature. You could say, well look, do you have any books in your library? Were those books written by humans? Do you find any truth in them? Okay. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I was once down in Florida for a missions trip for spring break to like talk with people, evangelism. I was talking to like this frat bro. It was basically a ministry to frat bros who were down at spring break. And I was talking to this guy and he looks at me, he's like, did you know the Bible was written by men? I'm like, yeah, that's the doctrine of inspiration. It was God working through men. And he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then he walks away. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, I was like, oh, that was easy. Um, so do, it's like, well, yeah, it was God, God spoke through holy prophets. Okay. Do people always make mistakes when they write? Just because men were a part of it, does that mean that they automatically had to have made a mistake? Um, how about this one? Do you think that if God did exist, would he be capable of using humans to write down exactly what he wants? If not, why? Right? So, again, and finally, think about the gospel. There are a lot of questions you can ask to help lead to a gospel message. I've done this all kinds of times. Um, I've asked people on the beach this quite a bit uh, during my missions trips. And if you died right now and God judged you on the basis of your moral performance, how do you think you'd fare? <laughs> no one's told me that they'd be going to heaven. They'd be like, well, if you phrase it that way, I've got a big problem, <laughs> right? And I say, me too, right? So uh, how about this one? If you've got to be a good person to go to heaven, how good is good enough? What standard is God going to use to judge your life, right? If you've got to be good, how do you know good is good enough? Is there somewhere online you can go to check your good and bad balance to see like where the scales tip? What's the standard? Is God just going to judge on like a curve? <laughs> like, you know, just do your best and, you, and, and I guess I'll accept you. Or is he going to judge us based upon his own holiness and his own righteous law? If that's the case, we're in big trouble, right? And we don't need a 10-step program. We need a savior, right? Um, why would Jesus have to die for your sins if you could simply be a good person to become right with God? Like, why would God have to go through this extreme rescue mission to become a man and get brutally slaughtered if you could just be a good person? It seems like he's trying to be our savior, right? 
So these are some questions that I've used that kind of open people up to, to start thinking about the Christian gospel, which is pretty cool. And when it comes time to actually give argument and evidence, which eventually I guess you should do, I will say this. There's an old military phrase, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. Right? So the more you can read your Bible, the more you can study theology, apologetics, the more you're going to be able to explain and defend what you believe. And you can do this when the, when the pressure's off. And I get it, when you're in conversation, it can be very difficult, right? Um, but sometimes when you're done and you go and do some study, you can get more clarity and come back and do much better. So the, so the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. So what's the overall goal then? Our minimal goal at work or wherever? I think it's this. Try to put a stone in their shoe, right? Do you ever have a stone in your shoe doing chores or something and it's just like, ah, I gotta get this thing out of here. Well, to put a stone in someone's shoe is just, just to give them something to think about, something to chew on, right? You don't necessarily have to save them on the spot. I mean, maybe the Lord, I mean, that's actually happened to me where I've just preached the gospel and someone's like, okay, I'm good, I'll believe it. I'm like, all right. Um, doesn't always happen like that, but just give them something to think about, something um, that they can take home and just kind of, oh man, what that guy said, you know, is really interesting. So. There's a minimal goal for you, okay? All right, here's what not to do, <laughs> all right? Roadblocks to effective conversation, and I promise we're landing the plane here, guys, okay? Uh, roadblocks. Try to avoid a demonizing tribalistic attitude towards other people. What's tribalism? It's like this circling the wagons, like, like, us versus them kind of thing. Um, and uh, it turns out people who disagree with you are human just like you. They're people made in God's image that Jesus wants to reach. So avoid this whole us versus them dynamic. Um, in the Bible, there's no us versus them because we're all sinners, right? There's not like, well, they're, they're the bad ones and we're the good ones. It's like, no, we're, we're, we're actually all on the same level in need of a savior here. So they I like what you said about humility, too. You could just be like, hey, I'm a sinner saved, saved by grace. I'm not better than you. Um, we all come in the same way through faith in what Jesus did, right? So there's an important humility lesson here. And I'd say our ultimate commitment needs to not be to our tribe or to our in-group, but to follow the truth wherever it leads. So following the truth. Miyamoto Musashi was a famous samurai warrior. He said, Truth is not what you want it to be. It is what it is, and you must bend to its power or live a lie. Right? And so we got to seek the truth, and once we find it, follow hard after it. Because after all, Tom Cruise says, I want the truth. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Sorry, guys. I would say... Avoid uh, a snap judgment impulse. We do this online, don't we, where we just immediately make this assessment, snap judgment, um, and uh, avoid a guilty until proven innocent negativity culture where we, well, well I'm going to take this situation and interpret it in its worst light possible, right? And then interpret it that way. And I'd say, <laughs> this is really hard to do, but avoid a condescending tone Right? It's easy to talk down to people, like, oh, you believe that? Oh, man. Like, and so 
This is very difficult, but just like anything in the Christian life, it takes practice, right? Practice. And it's been said, if you get mad, you lose, okay? So you can make a defense, I think, without being defensive, okay? So watch your tone. And this is a Holy Spirit thing too, isn't it, right? And finally, follow what I call the golden rule of apologetics. Dialogue with someone the way you would want them to dialogue with you. So if you're talking to an atheist, would you want them to just be yelling at you, calling you names, belittling you, or asking you questions and lovingly exploring your viewpoint, right? So I'd say love and respect are paramount, right? So just follow the fruits of the Spirit, right? You know, love, joy, peace, kindness, stuff like that, right? Um, and I think that'll go a long way in reaching people for Christ, okay? Um, so let's wrap it up, and why don't we pray, and then I think we're just, we're just done, right? Yeah, okay. All right, Lord, well, and I was asked, too, to pray about Haiti, so, so I will do that. So, so we pray, Lord, too, for the country of Haiti right now, just with all of the horribleness going on, that you would be in there and you would help to remedy that situation, help us have compassion for Haiti. Um, and as well as we were talking about, help us to just uh, treat people with love and respect. Help us to have a, a tough mind but a tender heart. It's difficult, Lord, but help us to, to just be a shining light in our culture. Um, and uh, so pray for this practical wisdom that you'll just bless us as we go along this week. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.